This is Feed, Play, Love, a podcast especially for the parents and carers of small children. I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. Over the years, I've spoken to some really interesting people about parenting, and this next interview is one from our collection. I hope you enjoy it. All around the world, early learning educators are trying to reintroduce risk into our children's lives. Somewhere along the line, our desire to protect our children has hurt them. The philosophies behind this, and things like nature play and child-led play, stress the importance of letting a child take risks in order to understand their own boundaries to learn resilience, and basically to just grow and develop like a normal kid. Sarah Hunstead is the CEO of CPR Kids. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm very well. I'm so interested to hear your take on risks. (laughs) Why do you think it's important for kids to take risks? Well, you're presuming that I think it is important for kids to take risks. Am I I presuming wrong? No, you are completely correct. (laughs) (laughs) Completely correct. Absolutely. Children are wired. Their brains are wired to take risks. They need to, to be able to develop the way that they should. If we take away those risks, then what happens is, is that they just, their brains aren't able to develop as they should. They're physically, they need to be out there and pushing them themselves as well. And what happens is, is without that, they're not able to become competent, uh, basically competent little human beings with skills and activities. So we've got to let them do it. Okay. So how far would you go with this philosophy? Because I am guessing the hardest thing for parents to work out is what are the boundaries when you're introducing risks? Like when you're saying that's, that's a good risk, that's a bad risk. How do you work that out? It's amazing how, obviously, really little toddlers or crazy toddlers are an exception to this rule. But it's amazing how children can actually self-regulate, especially when there are grown-ups around. Um, there are a lot of studies that show that children will push themselves a little bit further if there's no grown-up around, which is actually a good thing. But how do you weigh up between a good risk and a bad risk? Well, it's about, that's a tricky one. (laughs) It's a really tricky one. And I don't think there's a cut and dried answer. But what we can do is really think about things. So, for example, you could say, all right, well, there's 68,000 kids every year that are injured, that are hospitalized due to injuries alone in Australia. Okay. Mm -hmm. The majority of these happen in the home. And a lot of them, for example, might be bike riding incidences. Does that mean that we don't let our kids ride bikes? No, absolutely not. Bike riding is a rite of passage of childhood. Remember that feeling when you're flying down a hill and you've got the wind in your hair and you just feel invincible? I can remember that as a kid. So you didn't wear a helmet is what you're saying? No, 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 no. (laughs) Through the vents of the helmet, the vents, the vents. Now, I had a stack hat. Of course, stack hats. And so, you know, we're not going to stop the kids bike riding, but are we going to make sure that they wear a helmet? Yep. Are they going to fall off their bike? Yeah, they probably are. Are they going to end up with grazes on their knees? Uh, They might end up with a broken bone. But what we don't want is that we don't want a debilitating head injury. How do we mitigate that risk? By having them wear a helmet. So it's about those things. Let's not stop them doing stuff, but let's think about the worst case scenario and how can we help prevent that. Remembering though, that they need to be able to push themselves. I read this amazing article by 
Tim Gill, who does Rethinking Childhood. And he talks about how playgrounds that are really constructed to eliminate risk, to be safety, safety conscious, not only are kids really bored in them, but the kids don't push themselves and they end up not using the equipment as it's intended and more injuries happen. I'm using inverted commas here, but riskier playgrounds where it's, you know, where there's an assessment done that the benefits outweigh the risks, then there's actually less injuries. So it's about going, okay, we don't want worst case scenario to happen, but you know what? Your kid is going to hurt themselves at some stage. You need to know how to patch them up afterwards. Okay, we'll get on to that. But before we do, I remember a safety expert telling me once that trampolines were the worst offenders when it came to broken bones, or at least they used to be. What's your take on trampolines? Are they an acceptable risk? Okay, now... Were you the safety expert that told me that? uh, I may have been. (laughs) Uh, Yes. In saying that, so my daughter, who is now 11, when she was four, she broke her ankle on the trampoline in our backyard. Ouch. We did everything, in inverted commas again, right we had the safety trampoline you know the springs weren't exposed we checked it all the time for you know faults and everything we had the you know the cagey bit around it which is actually quite good to lock children in sometimes you're not supposed to do that but it actually is keeps them entertained (laughs) yeah handy hint but she was bouncing on there but she was bouncing with another person i wasn't home at the time it was my husband's 40th birthday we were off having a long lunch (laughs) shh don't tell anyone They'll never find out. No, but she was bouncing with her very competent and reliable babysitter. And what happened was is that she did the the classic double bounce. And so she ended up getting a, a broken ankle from this. And did we get rid of the trampoline? No, we didn't. We kept the trampoline. The joy. Got rid of the babysitter. <laughs> no, we kept her too. Wasn't her fault, you know. She didn't know, but you know, it was just the joy that this trampoline would bring. We've got a very small backyard. The amount of exercise it gave them, the benefits outweighed the risks. Obviously, we talked about no double bouncing, that kind of stuff, and that didn't happen again. But we still kept the trampoline. It's because for us, it was definitely much more of a benefit for the kids than getting rid of it. Okay, so back to what you just mentioned before, which was um, you've got to let them take risks, but you want to be prepared to patch them up afterwards. What should parents be able to manage when it comes to those sorts of accidents? So definitely simple injuries, knowing the first aid for things like broken bones, for cuts, for all of those, you know, to stop bleeding because at some stage a child is going to, whether it's a wall or a pole or falls off something, they're going to end up bleeding. So those simple common injuries are really important. Knowing when to seek help for a head injury is incredibly important as well. So knowing what's normal and what is not. And of course, preparing for worst case scenario, because sometimes you could mitigate risk until the cows come home, but accidents happen they do. So being prepared for that is incredibly important. So know how to do CPR. And just, I think one of the most important things is actually not being scared of needing to manage this, you know, because I think that by acknowledging that something quite possibly will happen and being prepared for that is really important as a parent. 
We'll be back with more from Sarah Hunstead right after this. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand. I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back, get back here. But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like, you know, a monkey one. Because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah, like a disguise. (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. So in terms of broken bones, what is the thing you're meant to do? Often with kids, it can be really subtle. It might be really obvious where, you know, bones are sticking out banana arm, something like that. So I had my youngest child, she fell off the monkey bars and she uh, basically turned her arm into a banana. Oh, That was very, very obvious. So the first aid for that is you need to keep your child calm and still in a position of comfort and get an ambulance to come to you because badly broken bones need an ambulance because it can be incredibly painful. It can cause damage. We just need to get an ambulance. For that more subtle possible broken bone, you may notice that your child is complaining of pain, might be a little bit swollen. You might notice that they're just not using the limb and it's much more common for kids to break their arms and their legs because they fall into outstretched arms. But, you know, they just may not be using that limb and so what you need to do is ideally immobilize the limb so you can just use a sling if you want to or best thing is just to use their clothes and you know certainly uh, just keep that immobilized so we don't want it moving around give them some pain relief give them some paracetamol or some ibuprofen because it hurts and a really good thing to do and this is a bit controversial in the media at the moment is putting a cold pack or ice not directly on the skin but over uh, the injury now A lot of the stuff in the media at the moment is saying that ice actually doesn't help things like sprains and strains that actually we want it to become inflamed to heal. But I do recommend that when a bone is broken, what you're doing there is pain relief rather than doing it to help it heal faster. It's ice is actually, but not directly on the skin, is really important. It's a great, quick and simple pain reliever until you can get to the hospital. Okay. Now we have talked about head injuries before, but tell us when is it time to call the ambulance with a head injury? Okay. So if your child has had a loss of consciousness, even if it's only for a few seconds that your child has been knocked out, that is a, it's a severe injury in a child and they need to go to hospital. It's really, really important. What we tend to see is that kids fall over, they cry, they either split the skin, they might have an egg on their head, and I know everybody listening right now will know exactly what I mean by an egg, but that egg should be nice and firm to touch. Imagine it's like an avocado. This avocado that might be okay for your salad, maybe needs another day, you know, it's quite firm, that's probably all right. But that egg on the head that feels squishy, so it's an avocado that you're going, dude, I'm only using that for guacamole. (laughs) Yep, that's not good. What that can mean is that there could be a fracture under there or there could be a lot of bleeding under there. So really thinking about those boggy swellings, the squishiness, okay, that's not great. We need to have a trip off to the hospital. What we expect is a child to be just completely, you know, need a cuddle and then back to what they're doing. You know, like 
go away, mum. I don't want an ice pack on my head. I'm fine. I've got to keep playing. Is that the same regardless of where they get hit on the head? Because I remember growing up, it was always the temple. Yeah, it's about looking at your child, okay? It's about looking at their behaviour because we don't want somebody to think, oh, it's all right, they just knock the front of their head, so I'm not going to worry about that at all. It's about let's actually think about the child as a whole. So let's look at what they're doing. What's their behaviour like? Is your child normally just, you know, running around the backyard trying to break Usain Bolt's records and now they're just sitting on the couch and they're really quiet? That's not normal. If their behavior is different to usual, if they're complaining of a headache that doesn't go away, if they're complaining of blurry vision or just often kids can't articulate that, they'll just, you'll see them like blinking or just looking weird and you know not being able to pick up toys properly that sort of thing if they have continued vomiting after a head injury that's certainly a red flag as well what if it's just one vomit and then nothing more so you'll know your child if they have if they're crying and they usually spew when they get upset i wouldn't be too concerned If they are vomiting and it's not normal for them to do that when they're crying or they're upset, I would have, you know, one little vomit, okay, red flags out, vomit again, off to the hospital. I think that's quite important. And really thinking if they had a seizure or they've got clear fluid that's coming out of their ears or, you know, things like that or blood out of the ears, we really need to be going, whoa, okay, this is an ambulance now. And finally, just because it's such a delightful thing to talk about, what about bleeding? Yes. Because I don't ever know. Sometimes they can have a tiny cut and it gushes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be, well, actually, I don't know about deep cuts. Thankfully, we haven't had too many. But it is possible for them to hurt themselves, particularly if it's around their mouth. And it just looks like the worst thing's happened. Oh, But then it clears up and it's a teeny tiny little cut. Absolutely. It's like a horror movie. Mm. It's like somebody got a bucket of red paint and splashed it everywhere. I'm sorry for those of you who are a bit queasy about blood. (laughs) My apologies about that. But heads in particular, because they are impact zones for kids, so around the chin, around the forehead and eyebrows, around the back of the head, the head is very vascular, meaning that it's got a really big blood supply. And so even if it's a little cut, it can bleed and bleed and bleed and then bleed a little bit more. So what you need to do is apply firm, direct pressure. Now, for example, if your child has got a cut on their forehead, grab something that is clean and dry. So you could grab a tea towel or a face washer, something like that. But what we don't want to do is just kind of place it over the top and just mop up and soak up the blood. That's not actually helping. We need to really put some firm direct pressure over the wound. So being able to roll that up and put, you know, really quite precise pressure over the top is important. Put that on there for a minimum of five minutes. Five minutes may as well be 27 hours. So you're going to need to get your phone out, get the iPad out, get the distraction out. Don't give them anything to eat or drink, though, just in case they do need some stitches. And then after five minutes, take it off. If it is continuing to bleed, if it is spurting, then that may well need an ambulance. You will know if it is really bleeding a lot. Okay, have a think about that. But if you take it off after five minutes or so and you look and go, oh, okay, yep, no, I can see either fat or muscle or skull or something like that, then that's a trip off to the hospital to get that stitched up. If you look at it and go, actually, that's not even a part that's really small, it's just superficial, it just bled a lot, clean it, 
some steri strips, you know, those little butterfly bandages over the top and just watching it. But I really, truly believe that parents have got a barometer inside them that if you have a look at it and you go, <gasps> it probably needs to be looked at by a doctor. If you look at it and go, oh, no, that's fine. It probably is. Mm. Good words of advice to end on. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. That's Sarah Hunstead. She's the CEO of CPR Kids. And if you'd like to look into any more information about what you want to do if your child gets into trouble, CPR Kids now have online courses and we'll put links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.